Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome to my independence report. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I've got a great guest for uh, we're going to play for about 40 minutes or so and uh, i've i this this man i gotta tell you is a gentleman after my own heart he is done some things that i really would like to be able to do and i'm not there yet but i'm working to get there his name is Corey poirier and he is with us on the phone and he's from he's on the east coast i believe uh but uh he is just to give you a little bit of background he has done multiple times the TED Talks, if you're familiar with the TED Talks, um, he's a keynote speaker. He has interviewed over 4,000 of the world's top leaders. So he's really taken the bull by the horns and really is 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 working to develop himself and to make something positive in the world that we can all share together. And with that, uh, Corey, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me here, and I'm super stoked uh, to be here today. Well, it's it's awesome to have you here. I got to ask you, how did you get started doing this? Because this is your passion. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, it's interesting because I would love to say that I was, you know, born with this passion, or that uh, you know I uncovered it early, or that it was some just yeah, you know, I, I did some uh, magic. And, and all of a sudden I discovered this passion, but the truth is, uh, for me, it was a happy accident. So in terms of getting, let's say involved in speaking, which is really what led to almost everything else, how that happened for me is that I, uh, I wrote a stage play that made its way into a fringe festival. And within the play, I had, um, I had the lead actor. I had a whole bunch of actors involved. And because I wasn't comfortable speaking in public, I wasn't one of the people involved. I was the writer director. And essentially what happened was one of the actors, the lead actors, sprained his ankle on the way to the play, uh, halfway through the, the play's run. And so he, he still actually uh, did the rest of the play's run, but he needed some extra time to, you know, to get through costume changes and that. So I had to write, uh, actually, I had to write uh, lines for myself, even though I didn't want to be on a stage. And so I wrote uh, lines for myself to be on in the play. And I was just terrified. I mean, I was terrified of the idea of speaking. And so I wrote the parts where I could actually have my back to the audience. And I went out that way. And lo and behold, what happened was uh, we pulled it off. And at the end of the play's run, I asked one of the actors, I said, how do you think I could get over this fear? And he told me about a stand-up comedy workshop. And so I begrudgingly went into the stand-up comedy workshop. Again, terrified of speaking. Went two weeks to learn about stand-up. Week number three, we were told we were going to watch people entertain us, and we found out with five minutes notice that we were the entertainers. And that's how I got tricked into performing stand-up. And by the way, that led to how I actually got into speaking, because I, I once I had done this thing with stand-up, then I basically realized that, that you know I wanted to uh, keep doing it, even though I, I didn't, I, even though I bombed horribly, I survived. So I went back week after week, 
started performing stand-up on a weekly basis. And then I ended up going to uh, a speaking event with a friend of mine, to see Tony Robbins, and they said, can you believe he's getting paid to do this? And I said, whoa, wait a minute. People can get paid to speak? I didn't know that. <laughs> and I was, you know, I had been doing it for free all the time. And in fact, uh, performing stand-up, I was paying sometimes gas to get to the venue and not getting any money at the door. And so I said, I want some of that. And basically, in a nutshell, Kevin, that's how I got into speaking was, I was informed that people could get paid to do it, and I wanted more of that. And then, I mean, there's a whole journey as to how I built a speaking career. But really, at the end of the day, that was the trigger. And, you know, that's kind of what launched it all. Most people, and you, you know this very well, most people have an innate fear of getting up in front of people and, and speaking. And, and you, you were able to conquer that. Now, I can't think of anything more scary and i won't i i'm scared to do it is to get on stage and do stand-up comedy because then it I, it's like if you give a funny joke and the people stand there or sitting there looking at you and and they're not amused at all that that must really cause you to sweat and not feel very good yeah it does and i will say a lot of people don't realize this uh but the truth is that uh having dead silence is actually, uh, it's actually worse than being booed. A lot of people don't know. It's worse than being heckled. It's worse than being booed. Dead silence is the worst thing that can happen to you when you're on stage. And so, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was, it was tough those first shows because I was met with dead silence. I mean, I was truly having the, um, you know, I was having all you would expect. Like I was having those uh, moments of people not enjoying the show. I was having moments of people you could hear actual coughs in the audience, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, cause nobody was laughing. So yeah, it was, it wasn't for the faint of heart and it wasn't easy. That's for sure. Well, and you, you made it through that and you've done some Ted talks and you've, well, I, I'm really curious to enter in, 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 to talk to you about how did you find and how did you get them to interview these 4,000 top leaders. I know that you've interviewed people all over the place. How did you get them to say yes? You know, that's a great question. And I'm going to say it, it really comes back to a thing that I call uh, the power of leverage. And so what I mean by that is that a lot of people uh, don't realize that at the end of the day, Somebody, if you want to get somebody on your show, let's use that example because there's other examples for how you could use this, like leverage. But let's just say on your show for that that you know argument's sake, if you want to get somebody on your show, leverage is the best way to do that. And so, what do I mean by leverage? What I mean is you have to have some people on the show that they know of, and then can go, well, if so and so trusted Corey, and if so and so said this good thing about being on Corey's show then chances are Corey delivers a good show. Like he delivers a good interview. And, you know, obviously if you have testimonials or video of people saying that or audio, that even helps further. So what I did early on, because when I first started, like everybody else had a show with no listeners, I was launching just like everybody else. And so I'll tell you an example that I can give is it was actually in this case with Jack Canfield. So Jack Canfield, a lot of people maybe even listening would know is the chicken soup for the soul co-creator. And so uh, it wasn't an easy get. He had nothing to promote at the time, meaning he wasn't uh, talking about a book. He had nothing out at the time. And so uh, for him, there was no, you know, he wasn't in a big rush to do a lot of interviews. And so essentially what happened was I got um, through to his people and they said that, well, Jack turns down one out of every, uh, I guess it was one out of every 
I think they said one out of every 10 interviews. So he only says, uh, or actually correct that. He turns down nine out of every 10. He only says yes to one. And so they said, likely, Corey, in all likelihood, it won't happen. And I'm one of those people that I don't believe in giving up. So what I did was I actually, um, I was listening to the Success Magazine CD. The old, it used to be uh, these CDs that came out with Success Magazine. And a guy, the publisher of Success named Darren Hardy, was interviewing a guy named Dan Sullivan. And Dan Sullivan runs this thing called Strategic Coach. And Dan was talking about how his clients had just been at his event, and he listed his clients, and he said Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, also with Chicken Soup. And the light bulb went off. Okay, so Dan knows Jack, and Dan had said he's just started to do interviews again. He had something he was promoting. I'm like, okay, why don't I reach out to Dan? So I reached out to Dan, and I knew he loved the Success Magazine interview because he said it right in the interview. So I said, how about, uh, why don't we bring you on, um, Dan, on for an interview, and it'll be like Success Magazine. I know he enjoys those style interviews. So his team said yes to that, and uh, he came on the show. I talked about Jack a little bit, and then Dan in the interview said, Corey, you know, Jack needs to be on the show. He would love this show. So I took that little clip. I sent it into Jack's team, and the next morning they said, okay, Corey, Jack said he'll do it. And so when I talked about the power of leverage, it was the leverage of the fact that Dan, who Jack trusts and is actually a coach of his, said Jack should be on the show. And that said to Jack, I'm going to say yes to this one, perhaps not, and no to the other nine out of those ten. And then to finish the story off, once you have Jack on and Dan on, then you can go to the, maybe Mark Victor Hansen, who co-wrote some books with Jack, and say, hey, Jack was just on the show. We should have you on. And he's going to probably say, well, Jack trusted the show. I should jump on. And then you can go to you know whoever else and say, I've had Jack, Mark, and, and Dan on. And you see where I'm going from this. But that's the power of leverage. You need to get those first two. And once you do, you can leverage those for the rest. See, and that's why, that's why you're on the show, because I can leverage you. <laughs> <laughs> True story. That's 100% true. Uh, because um, tell me also about uh, um, your columnist with Entrepreneur and Forbes. How did you get that gig? Uh, so interestingly, there's, I guess it's a two-part answer for that. So on one hand, the, um, the, the, uh, the real short answer is, in much the same way of what I just said, I reached out to them, and then I leveraged what I had done up until that point. Now, now, saying that, for example, being a multiple-time TEDx speaker, by the time I wrote for Entrepreneur, I had that credential. But I can tell you one thing, it didn't get me the gig. I, I was more so uh, Entrepreneur than Forbes. And now they're not accepting new contributors at all. But at the time, they, even when they're, they are looking, they're very, 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 for lack of a better way of saying it, very strict on who can write for them and what they're looking for in an article. And so my first article for them, and I've been writing a long time, I think I had like four or five revisions I had to make. And so what they were looking for, and, and by the way, that's, that's a high number. Like anything else I've written for, it's usually been like at most one. The most I think I've ever had besides that is two revisions. And so what they were looking for is they wanted a story that was humorous. And this would all depend on the editor at the time, but he wanted a story that was humorous, a story that had a lot of impact, but it was also very personal. And so I believe the first one I wrote was three entrepreneurial lessons I learned from speaking in the dark. And it was about a time when I actually spoke in the pitch dark because the power went out at the event I was at and I had to speak in front of 250 people in the dark. And so he, he came back to me whenever I submitted one idea and he said, well, that's not exciting enough. And so we went back forth and even just to get the topic, the title, it, it was, you know, it took me maybe two or three times going back with different ideas. But here's the finish of the whole story is once I did the first one and, and they saw I could write the way they were looking for, 
then they opened up a partner portal and I was able to just submit the articles from there. Now they still go through an editing process. I still had to have, and the editors always came back with some changes, but it was a lot easier once I had the, uh, I could go in the back end and just submit. And it was pretty much the same thing with Forbes. But uh, I will say it was really, I started, I reached out. I, um, I mentioned things that I, you know, articles I read by the person I was pitching. I talked about what I liked about those articles. I referenced people that they mentioned their articles that I had interviewed and something that they said that I, that I really enjoyed and loved. And then I, you know, talked about a little bit about my backstory and why I thought I could bring a unique voice to them. So it was really a matter of leverage and also, um, you know, showing them and demonstrating them. I could bring value to the readers because at the end of the day, that's what they're looking for. Which brings us to the book that you've written that just came out this past March. And that, that's the book of why and how. Tell us about that process that you went through and what's the book about. It's interesting you said the process because this is something I, I did only analyze probably about six months ago and started sharing it. And I recognized when I was talking to people in the book business, they're like, oh, well, nobody does that. And I didn't think it was rare or what have you or unique. But, I mean, now I'm telling people, I think that's what you should do. I mean, it's what I did and for the book and it and made the book, I think, very unique and special as far as resonating with uh, the writing style that I like reading. So what I did in terms of the process, when I started writing this book, I'm a big fan of the old school books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And, sure. uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People was actually the first book I ever read in my life at age 27, which surprises a lot of people. That, did, um, that I like is surprising. Zig, Ziglar book. Um, and on and on. Like I love Dale Carnegie's writing from, you know, the how to, well, how to win friends, but also how to stop worrying and start living, which I'm rereading right now. Uh, the Science of Getting Rich by Wallace C. Waddles. These are all books, you know, from the, I guess, 1900, you know, right up until maybe 1950, uh, with the exception of Zig Ziglar, which was still, I think, the 70s, the one that, that see you at the top. And so I love that writing style. And so here's what I did, Kevin, is I actually went back every time before I sat down to write, I would actually reread a section or a chapter from one of those books. And the, the idea I had in my head was I wanted to get into the same writing style of the reading that first resonated with me so that I would actually be writing in the style that I most enjoy. Gotcha. And what it did is it got me in, like, for example, with uh, uh, Napoleon Hill, he might say something like, consider this, John Smith used to work as a plumber on whatever street, you know, and, and so he would have the certain style of writing that you don't see in modern writing. And so by rereading each time I went in, that worked its way and incorporated its way into my writing. So as far as the process of how it was written, it was definitely written in a very unique way that way. And then secondly, which tells you a bit about the book, it was broken down into three acts, followed by a bonus section, which has 400 quotes, original quotes by thought leaders that I've interviewed. And I've had most people I've talked to say they've never seen that style of, you know, having a bonus section with that many quotes. And so I think that was probably a bit unique, but the process in terms of, or I should say even the, the structure of the book, those three acts. The first act is about why. So it's about finding your why, uh, why you should, why the world needs you to, uh, why now is the right time, all those kind of things. Uh, it's actually built around Jim Rohn had this talk one time where he said, why, why not you, why not now, um, and, and why not you now? And so um, basically in the book, I asked those four questions. I didn't take anything from what Jim Rohn said. I just asked the four questions he asked, and then I actually broke it down into how I would answer that. So I broke down why it should be you, why it needs to be you, why it needs to be now. And so it was almost like uh, reverse psychology the way it was written. So that's the first section. Second section is called Thriving. And it's actually about the five top traits I've learned after interviewing over 6,000 of the world's top influencers. 
third section is called enlightened, which is essentially, I consider it almost a conscious way to do these things. So once you know your why, once you know what to do with that, meaning how to uh, take that why and, and join the top ranks of influencers, the last part is how do you do it in a way that you can sleep at night? And that's what enlightened is. So that's kind of the book in, in, a, in a, I guess we'll say a five minute nutshell. So let me ask you, because there are people listening that are going, you know, I, I would like to have passion. I would like to, I know that I'm here for a reason. I don't exactly know what the reason is, but I know that I'm here for a reason. What separates you? What made you drive to find the reason and then to work on it when so many people just say, well, I don't make enough money. I might as well just go to work. And I'm just, you know, I, this is too, that's too hard to find my passion, even, even though I'd love to do what I can't. How do you, how do you talk to those folks? Well, my, my first thing I would say is to ask yourself and, and, and I hope people listening, somebody listening, it doesn't take the wrong way. Cause I'm going to dive deeper. And as you get to know me here, you'll know that I'm not a person that takes it lightly. The, the importance of people living on purpose. But the first thing I would say the back question is how's that working out for you? So why I say that is because so many people are unhappy now. So many people struggle with finding any purpose for their work. So many people, every morning they wake up, they dread getting out of bed. Uh, the only reason I sometimes am not a fan of getting out of bed is because I'd rather sleep another hour. <laughs> but outside of that, I, I mean, I literally, as far as what I do for a living, I can't wait to start a new day. I mean, I'm stoked about it. You know, whenever I have stuff coming up, like a holiday, a long weekend, I'm kind of bummed because these days I don't work week, evenings and weekends. And so my girlfriend would love to take advantage of it when it's a long weekend to make sure I don't work on the weekend day. And I'm kind of bummed because I don't get to do, uh, you know, that which I love those five days a week. So my answer would be, um, if it's not working out for you, then you need to ask what's it worth to you? How, li- how long is life? I mean, life is really short in the bigger scope of things. Do you want to spend your life helping someone else live their purpose or do you want to live your own purpose and further i would say um you know your legacy is on the line whether you care or not about legacy what people you know say about you both when you're gone and when you're not around behind your back is a direct result of the work you did serving your purpose and your mission while you're here so i guess what i would do is i would make the argument is first of all uh in a lot of ways you've got nothing to lose by trying to find your purpose because otherwise the alternative is to be unhappy at a job that uh, you don't like, serving somebody in some cases that you might not like, and serving their purpose rather than figuring out what you like and finding a way to serve it. And by the way, a big thing people uh, miss there is they think, okay, well, I have to quit my job and I can't financially do that. Well, going back a step, whenever I said I started doing stand-up comedy, I was doing that on the side of my work. Whenever I said that I heard Tony Robbins get paid to speak and then I started speaking, I was doing that on the side of my work. I was using my holidays, my vacation days, all that stuff to actually uh, take on speak engagements until I felt that I was bringing in enough of them that I could move away from the corporate job that I had. So you don't have to go all in, but I would say, is it not worth going a little bit in if it's something that you enjoy doing anyway? And it could mean the difference between you living a life where you say, I can't wait till I retire versus a life where you say, I'm never working at all. So technically I'm already retired. So that I make the argument that uh, it, it just makes sense that you at least give it a try considering all the benefits versus the versus the alternative of not doing anything. You know, that, that uh, was brought home to me in a real personal way recently when my brother was uh, diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. 
and his time on this earth is not going to be very long. And there's a certain amount of regret that is creeping into his world because he hasn't been able to achieve what he chose would really would have loved to do because he's not going to be here. And that to me is important for everyone to realize we're all going to die. But if you can put your mark down and you can live your passion, which is what your soul is trying to tell you to do, and you can do it and have fun with it, that seems to me to be a much better way to live. And with your enthusiasm, have you always been this enthusiastic, by the way? No, and, and that's such a great point because I mentioned I, I was a happy accident that I discovered my purpose. And maybe this is why I can speak to it, the alternative of not living your purpose with a lot of authority is that I, for the first part of my life, up until like close to mid 20, I battled anxiety, generalized anxiety, very public. Well, it wasn't publicly at the time, I'm very public about it now. And I battled hypochondria. So for people listening that don't know about hypochondria, basically if I read about a disease, I developed the symptoms that night. And I, I jokingly said that I was in the hospital, or well, the waiting room so much that I might as well have had my own name on a coffee mug there. And, and I also said I was probably part of, uh, part of the reason of the shortage of doctors that we had at the time, you know, because I was going for everything and, and nothing, came, by the way, none of it, none of what I thought I had came to pass, but I battled that for years. And so I'm a firm believer, Kevin, that you can't be a full optimist and a full pessimist, uh, pessimist in the same body equally at the same time. So this was before I discovered my purpose. And for me to think every day I was going to get a disease that was going to kill me, clearly I wasn't an, op wasn't an optimist. <laughs> clearly I was pessimistic. And then the flip side is once I discovered my purpose, and this sounds like magic, like a magic pill, but my hypochondria and anxiety almost overnight magically disappeared. And so that's probably why I'm such a big proponent of this. But the key thing to note is I was still working my job. I didn't notice I didn't leave my job based on what I was telling you guys. So that's a, that's a big part of it. But then the other side is um, I was working a corporate job for a lot of those years. And here's the interesting part of the whole story that proof that it can happen to anybody is I was going into those waiting rooms thinking I had this or that. And meanwhile, I was in the top two to three people in a branch with hundreds of people in sales. You know, so I was still performing at the highest level on the outside and surface. And nobody knew at that point I was going to the waiting room. So for me, like I was still performing at a high level. This isn't about performing, but I wasn't happy clearly. And so my answer is back to your question is that no, I wasn't always this optimistic or happy. I was clearly the exact opposite uh, again, because you could never be thinking every day you're going to get this disease or that disease. If you're a complete optimist who has lots of passion and purpose in your life. And so, no, I wasn't always like this and that's how I know it can be achieved. So when you were, when you were in your mid twenties, then if you were to fast forward to who you are today, you wouldn't have thought that possible, would you? Not even in the least. I mean, you know, I didn't read the book until like my first book till after that night at comedy. So I wouldn't have even told you. If you would have said to me, Corey, you're gonna read, you're gonna read a book that's going to make you uh, change the way you view the world, and ultimately is going to lead you to reading three to five books a month. I would have thought, you know, well you need to get a new time machine because <laughs> that that's not going to happen. And so I didn't even think that was possible, let alone everything that uh, followed that. I will say that book, uh, my mother bought it for a quarter at a flea market and threw it in my kit bag before I went off on a company retreat. And I was put into this little cabin with two guys that I, that were very negative. And the other cabin up the road where everybody else was, we, we were separated from them to the point where we couldn't see them. 
So instead of me hanging around the two negative people, even though I was somewhat negative myself, I suppose at the time, I decided to grab that book that I didn't even know she put in there. I came across it. I read the book from page one. It pulled me in, never let me go. I read it twice that weekend. Uh, you know, and, and as they say, price is what you pay is value is what you get. So, I mean, that book cost a quarter. I mean, I would hinder to say it's been worth millions of dollars to me. And so I couldn't have visualized any of that happening, even up until the day before it did. So, yeah, I, did, I didn't have a clue it was coming. I'm a firm believer that that book found its way into your mom's hand and into your backpack or, 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 in, or, or what you were taking with you. And that was no accident that that was by design. Cause you, a way to help you through. Do you subscribe to that kind of theory? So another interesting, uh, I guess it's, it's a great question, but it's interesting as well because what, what I can tell you, which is uh, like, what I was, like what I was saying earlier about I couldn't have perceived myself becoming the person that, you know, is living sort of the life I'm living today. Interestingly enough as well, I was the person that just thought everything was exactly as it was on the surface. Uh, I didn't argue with people who said I was wrong in that area, but I just, I just thought it was either it was or it wasn't. Uh, I didn't see much beyond that. And so from then till now, though, I've done a complete 360, maybe even more than 360 uh, around that because so much so, and I, I'm going to say uh, because even in the book I talk about it a little bit, but what I call synchronicity now is something that at the time could have never entered my thought process because I just wouldn't have, I just would have said it was a coincidence. And now I'm so much into it that I'm working on, with a, a fairly big author on a documentary about synchronicity. And I'm also... Um, I live my life noticing the synchronicities and, and actually acting on them so that I get more synchronicities in my life. And in my next book that, I mean, I'm, I'm just barely working on, I'm like four chapters in working very slowly, but I'm dedicating a full chapter to it. So my answer is years ago, I would have said, no, I wouldn't have thought those things happen for a reason. Now I, you couldn't convince me otherwise. And I will add too uh, that I can see Jobs talked about joining up the dots in one of his talks. And that's what I think synchronicity is. He talked about how, he could join up three dots in his life that led to where he is, even though at the time they seemed like horrible instances. He realized later they needed to happen for him to become the person he became later. Well, I can go back in my life and join up so many dots and recognize that if one of those things happened in a different way, I'm not sitting here talking to you today. So yeah, I'm a firm believer. Somebody put that book in my mom's hand and somehow the universe got her to put the book into my, my kit bag that time. Switch it, which, takes me to the point where I want to address the audience and what I want to say to you is don't poo poo things that happen for you don't say wow it's just a coincidence and that's nothing it's something it means something act on it do what Corey did and is in the process of doing because I sense you're gonna you've got a lot of big things coming your way don't you yeah, I mean, I'm, well, I'll say it in the sense that I'm not slowing down, that's for sure. I, uh, I'm right now, we're, we're launching, like the newest thing we're working on right now is launching a, uh, a brand that's uh, called Blue Talk. And when people say to me, you know, what would, how would you um, describe Blue Talk? I jokingly have said if, if TEDx and Chicken Soup for the Soul got together and had a baby, <laughs> that would be Blue Talk. But really what it is, is it's a, it's a branded talk series, so similar to what TEDx does. Um, but where it's different is we're actually um, essentially bringing people on the stage to talk about what we were just talking about, spirituality, synchronicities. So, I mean, you can come into, actually, blue stands for business, life, universe. 
There's no E on it. And you can actually come on and talk about any of those three things, business, life, or universe. It, on our stage, uh, we're launching with a podcast. Next month, we're launching with a book series, a Blue Talk book series, and a virtual event. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, that you know, that's just in the coming, next coming, well, the upcoming month is Blue Talk is officially going to take life. And uh, bluetalk.com, obviously, is where people can find more with it. Blue without the E again. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's the newest thing in the works. And it's certainly not the last either. But yeah, that's that's what I'm really focused on right now because I recognize it's my way to help people amplify their messages in the world. And, you know, to put that number on that, I mean, I think we're approaching 200 people so far that have been involved in one capacity or another among those four platforms, and yet we haven't even launched yet. So I feel like this is a big opportunity to have a really big impact on the world. But yeah, lots of big things coming. I truly believe that that uh, there are people populating the planet that are interested in really making a difference. And the reason I like talking to people like you is that you're providing people with a blueprint and the book of why and how is that blueprint where you go pick up this book and you read it, then you can start making the changes in your life. You can notice the synchronicities that come by you and come to you and you can start acting on them and you can make and they may be just incremental changes, but they can be huge changes at the same time, or they could be one change that leads to the next, that leads to the next, that leads to the next. That's kind of your experience, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And to be, for me, I, I like when people say, you know, how did this book come about? The other thing I didn't mention earlier is I kind of wrote the book that I wish I would have had. <laughs> that was really what it was. Is I wish I had a book where it would get, and there's exercises in the book too. So I wish I had a book where I could take exercise to learn how can I find my passion. And so in the book, we actually reveal the, what I figured out, the reverse engineering thing I figured out, I used to figure out what steps I would have had to take to find that passion of mine earlier on and purpose earlier on. And so I reverse engineered it and then I take people through an exercise to do that. And um, we talk about the law of action and why it was the component missing from the secret, the movie, the secret. It was, I would say the secret beyond the secret was you have to take action. And so, we dive into a lot of areas that, um, you know, I haven't really seen a lot of other books dive into. And so, yeah, it's really, to me, that's what I'm hoping people get out of it is it gives them those paths and opportunities to find their voice and find their purpose. But at the end of the day, it's also the book, like I said, that I wish I would have read and would have access to at that time in my life. And so now I'm trying to hopefully pay it forward and give people that access that I wish I would have had. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So that's the short way of saying it. <laughs> that's that that is truly awesome and and it's great that you are taking the time to do that because it is so needed right now we live in <clears throat> excuse me the weirdest time i i've been i'm 62 we're living in the weirdest time i've ever seen in my lifetime and we as individuals have the ability to make changes that can infect, can infect and affect the entire planet. Do you, you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're at a time right now where, I mean, you, we have different, um, different ways of looking at this. You know, some people are looking at uh, the world in the way that, you know, it's, it's falling apart. Other people are looking at it like maybe it had to fall apart for it to go back together again you know, be put back together again. Uh, so I think there's more consciousness going on in the world than there ever has been. Uh, I think there's still obviously lots of challenges happening and there's lots of things that need to be fixed. But I feel like we have an opportunity for the world at large to wake up. And I feel like 
more and more people are becoming conscious. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a converted person that, you know, I wasn't conscious uh, 20 years ago. Uh, so I get it. I get, you know, on the other side of the fence, why somebody would say, I, uh, you know, I don't really, um, I don't really see anything bigger out here. I just see the world falling apart, but I really believe there's something way bigger happening. Oh, I agree a hundred percent in order for sometimes in order to move forward, you have to break down what was before and get rid of that so that you can move forward and we can move forward together. You know, one of the things that we're finding is because there aren't so many cars on the road that the air is cleaner. That's kind of a cool thing when you think about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and not to interject, but also I, I, I've been seeing that for like, you know, places like LA, you know, it's the first time some people could see the full skyline, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's amazing what's been happening. I mean, the flip side of that though, is, is we know it's going to go back, which is the downside, right? There would be great if we could take something with that, but I mean, obviously we're not going to get rid of all the cars in California overnight. So, uh, but, but I, I think that hopefully again, wakes us up to what's possible and what the world could look like. By the way, we've been talking with Corey Portier, and he has written the book, The Book of Why and How. I really, really suggest that if you are feeling like you're not living your passion, that you're not living life to its fullest, go get the book. I think it would be really helpful for you to take a stand and say, enough, I'm ready for more. Would, and go get that book with that. And that's why you wrote the book. And I'm really glad that you did. Uh, Corey, I know that you have got to go to the airport and, uh, and stuff. So is there anything that you would like to tell our audience before we part ways today? You know, I, I well, I'll, I'll go uh, one step further and, and just say, um, if I can even tell people where they can find the book, cause I can give them a shortcut. Absolutely. But I would. Okay. Perfect. Well, I would say, uh, first of all, you know, whether it's through me or somebody else, wherever you, uh, find it, I would recommend you find a path to uncovering your purpose. If you haven't already, uh, in interviews with over 6,000 influencers, the number one, and this is the number one trait or head. Well, I guess it's more of a trait, uh, but the number one thing they have in common is that they're living on purpose. They've discovered their purpose and they're living their purpose. So that's the number one trait of most of the top thought leaders in the world then I think it makes sense for you to take those steps. So if you haven't uncovered your purpose, I would say you need to get to work and, and find out what your calling is. And then the secondary part is if you have figured out what that is, then find a way to study at the feet of giants and learn what the masters do. People have already left lots of clues. Uh, if they've fallen down a bunch of manholes and can point at where they are, there's no reason for you to fall down the same one. So those are the two things I'd leave people with. And if you want to check out the book and learn more about the book, the easiest way is to go to the book of why com. I like to make websites easy, Kevin. So the book of why.com. That's, that's awesome. By the way, this is my passion and my passion is talking to people and bringing people like you so that we can, uh, talk in a meaningful way that other people can benefit from it. And that is, it just fills my soul to be able to talk to someone like you. I really appreciate who you are. Well, you know, the feeling mutual, Kevin, I never overlook the fact that when people put the work into putting out shows like this, uh, you are serving the greater good and, and you're having a direct and an indirect impact on more people than we sometimes ever realize. So uh, it, the feeling is mutual and thank you so much and kudos for all the work you're doing as well. You've been, we've been talking with Corey Portier, get the book, 
the book of why and how and you can get it by going to his website which is thebookofwhy.com right 100% that's that's awesome you sir have yourself a wonderful day and keep moving forward because people like you are going to change the planet in a huge way thank you so much again the feeling is mutual and with that everybody thank you so much for being with us today i hope that you have a wonderful day and take good care everyone hey and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end hey pretty cool hey don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts and remember take care of each other because each other's all we've got see you next time on my independence report